Phaser Update for April 7th, 2019. I'm Fulipo Nelco. I'm Patrick Mifflin. I'm Chris Ologi. And I'm Lee Lamb. A uh, bit of an interesting week this week. We survived uh, the April Fool's Day barrage. Uh, most of it was harmless. Uh, some of it was a little tasteless. I'm, I'm looking at you, Koji Igarashi. Yeah. Really? Files that of happened. blood? That, that really did happen. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, why not? <laughs> I, I just find it funny. Like, you know, we're offering 10 limited editions with half a liter of Koji Igarashi's blood. Wait a minute. That would yeah. be like all of it. I mean, it just, it, just shows, it just shows that he's down for the cause. That's how I take it. <laughs> it's like, I'll, 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 give up the, I'll give up the courts and the leaders and everything else like that. Get this motherfucker made. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the Rabbids and For Honor was, um, was, was classic. Um, so that was great. Uh, but apart from that, well, eh, I didn't see much that really struck my fancy. So I like the Rocket League one where they... Uh, so they have one artist that has done some stuff for them called Shitty Watercolor uh, on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, oh, they basically had him do art for all the casual playlists on the menus, hmm. uh, which was pretty good. I'm going to look it up real quick. <laughs> and it's it's the British Watercolor. Yeah. Oh, you are? Yeah. Yeah. Or Canadian. Mm, you know, now you're still tied to the to the kingdom. Technically, we are, yeah. Uh, we spell see. things properly over here. Listen to this guy with his fancy spelling. That's why we left. We're like, fuck these U's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's been uh, an interesting week. And, uh, well, the video game industry has provided us with some uh, substantial topics to talk about today. But uh, before we get there, let's uh, go over what we've been up to for the week. Uh, for me, it's... A lot of the same thing as last week. Been playing DOA, been playing Defense Grid. Uh, finally uh, got my GPU and RAM upgrades that I've been waiting on for a while. So that's that's in there now. Nice. What uh, what GPU did you get? I got a sixteen sixty Ti. Nice. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I was thinking of going for the RTX twenty sixty, but then I realized there were like two games that would use RTX, so yeah, it made no sense. Uh, yeah. Besides, you, you probably shouldn't buy into the first generation of a technology anyway. Oh, I agree. So I got that, and uh, I, I wish I could find a 1080 Ti. I'm rocking a 1080 because yeah. I feel like that would set me up for like the next four years until they really get the ray tracing thing down. <laughs> yeah. Or until it, Nvidia actually like you know comes off of their fucking meth and crack high where they're charging what they're charging. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll have to wait until later this year to see if AMD can compete again and maybe start driving those prices down again. Be nice. uh, yeah, well, that Radeon 7 came out and actually offered quite a bit for the money. So uh, maybe something to look at. But yeah, also got a, a 16 gigs of Vengeance LPX in there, 3200 megahertz. I had that's, a. I had that's similar to what I got. I'm running four thousand, but I'm doing the the low profile stuff too. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, eight gigs of three thousand, which I could never get to run at three thousand on my Ryzen for some reason. Uh, I don't know if it was a bad kit or just motherboard and the RAM weren't completely compatible. But yeah, I set the XMP on the thirty two hundred to thirty two hundred, and it was like, yeah, okay, no problem, I can do that. Yeah, we got that. Yeah, me, my my uh, test for stability is a uh, handbraking code. Uh, 
because that basically lights everything up at once. So yeah. Something's going to break. It's going to break there. Uh, and uh, it was able to go through a full encode without any problem. So. All right. Pleased with that. Um, so I've been doing that, and uh, back to my PS3 hacking. Since now that uh, uh, the 484 exploit is out, um, yeah, I can actually install it again <laughs> instead of because I got uh, I got like bit the last time and updated to the original yeah. firmware that wasn't exploitable, and then like oh well, shit. <laughs> But now I can get to it. So, yeah, I've got the only thing I've done so far is uh, installed the, the 484 hybrid firmware. I haven't done the uh, the rest of it yet, but I'll probably do that after the show and get everything set up. Uh, yeah, it might be worth your while, Pat, to upgrade to Rebug 484.1 because it's uh, made some uh, some improvements to the PS2 stuff on uh, non BC. Uh, Interesting. PS2. Yeah. So, give that a look. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apart from that, that's pretty much it for me. What about you, Pat? Uh, I'm still playing a bunch of Stormblood. I got um, Dark Knight to 70 on my new character. And now I'm working on Samurai, which I've got at 65. So, um, I'm at the point where I'm just barely starting to get into raid content on this character. So, that'll be... uh, That's been kind of fun. Just getting into some of the end game content that I've missed out on while I was leveling a new character. Um, other than that, um, seems like the, um, original multiverse theory has kind of gone out the window since, um, since fan fest. Uh, we now know that the shards are not the other worlds of final fantasy, which is kind of disappointing, but does open up, a um, a lot of other possibilities, as we now know that um, in Shadowbringers, we're going to be visiting the world of the first, which is kind of a high fantasy uh, Tolkien-esque um, take on Final Fantasy XIV's world. And I'm kind of interested in seeing where they take this because uh, so they've kind of built their last bastion of civilization around um their world's version of the Crystal Tower, I would be absolutely certain that one of these worlds has built Midgar on top of it and has kind of a Nomura-esque, you know, sci-fi edge to it. Hmm. Um, I'm thinking that uh, one other uh, Final Fantasy world that is still going to be completely on deck as one of the shards is Vanadiel. Mm-hmm. because it just fits right in with um, with how the shards are depicted. And I also think that we're going to see true Ivalice at one point, mm-hmm. because um, Ivalice is part of the world of Final Fantasy XIV of Heidelin, yeah. but its history has played out in a little bit of a different way. And I, I think that, that um, you know, they describe the the shards as reflections of the source. So I'm pretty sure that true evil is going to be found on one of these shards. So, um, well, it kind of sucks that we aren't going to be seeing the ultimate fate of some of these, uh, past final fantasy worlds. Um, I still think there are a lot of, there's a lot of possible, a lot of potential, um, in how things are shaking out for this series. And I think it really, um, tips the hand as to 
um, what the nature of future expansions in the series will be since all indications are we're going to have done almost all there is to do on the source world at some point during uh, Shadowbringers. So, I don't know, uh, uh, having a, a multiverse to tap into and um, multiple takes on the same world, depending on the level of creativity that we have at, um, you know, with uh, Naoki Yoshida's team, I think there's a lot of potential there to uh, do some really interesting shit in the years to come. Yeah, I, I just wonder how long this goes. Um it has to have at least WoW's uh, lifespan, if not uh, longer. I mean, Final Fantasy XI is still going. Yeah. Well, so, not on the PS2 anymore. But not on the PS2, not on the PC Xbox 360. Yeah. But on PC, it's still running. I um, And honestly, I, um, I don't see 14 having any shorter of a lifespan than 11. Mm. Because it is just so much better. Since it's, it's what and so much more now? successful. Um, yeah, this is well. It depends on how you look at it because it it did run for a couple of years as version one. Yeah, but that was version one, <laughs> and the less we the less we talk about that, the better. But um, it was I, I want to say either August or October of. 2013 that a realm reborn launched yeah and so yeah we're right there around the six year the mark. six year mark uh so that's pretty much it for you yeah uh, i'm just planning out what kind of uh twitch and youtube content i'm going to be turning out for this game once uh once i get this new computer put together because hmm. that's a thing yeah all right so how about you chris uh, yeah, so I've been doing a bit of spring cleaning, uh, both physically and digitally. Uh, trying to get a bunch of crap out of the room here, uh, and that even includes some boxes of shit. Because uh, you kind of get into that mode, it's like, oh, here's a big box, I can put stuff in it. And you just put all your bullshit in there that doesn't need to be anywhere. <laughs> uh, and I'm still working on this stuff, because I'm trying to get, trying to at first just kind of get all this shit out of the room and then figure out what needs to come back in. Yeah. Uh, Cause that'll make it easier to get furniture moved around and all that and find a good place for everything. Um, but digitally, uh, trying to clean out, uh, steam, uh, which the current version of steam is not meant for managing it. A large <laughs> library. Uh, because is I don't any version of steam meant for that. <laughs> uh, not yet. It's okay. So I'm saying I have about 424 games installed. Uh, and it is a nightmare trying to move stuff around. So I have like a folder for all the stuff that's installed and stuff that's uninstalled and trying to move. And at a certain point, I decided not to move them from one to the other uh, because it just got too tedious. <laughs> so I decided yesterday I was going to do this. Mm. Uh, I still have a few more to go, but uh, it's just a nightmare. Because uh, moving categories, okay, the category page... Uh, pop-up only can show so many at a time. And the uninstalled is at the bottom. So I have to yeah. scroll down. Unclick the thing I want it to be in, uh, or click the thing I want it to be in, unclick the thing I don't want it to be in. And it's just a hassle, because if you're trying to do, like, dozens of games, it's fucking terif- terrible. 
Yeah. You can't like mass move things. Uh which is needed big time. And hopefully that big overhaul they're doing uh adds some of this stuff. Yeah, that hasn't started rolling out yet though. So it's, no. it's supposed to be later this month. Winter. Yeah, it's like the whole way that, like the different views they have for the library have bits of information you want from each of them. Mm. But none of them are in all of them. <laughs> so it's like the size on disc. That'd be helpful when I'm trying to clean out stuff I don't want to play. Mm. On there, like I'm trying to get rid of a lot of the multi platform stuff I'm not gonna play on PC. Yeah. Uh, that I'm like, all right, I'll play that on PS4, or Xbox One, or Switch, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, trying to get through all this shit, and I've managed to free up like about 70 gigs of space, so that's good. Hmm. So I can fill it up with other crap. Yeah, or just download uh, Doom and fill it all up with one game. Uh, I already have that on PS4. I don't need <laughs> uh, the second time. But I still have other stuff I can do, because that's just Steam. Hmm. And, like I, I can go to my Uplay, my Twitch, uh Blizzard, uh, the Epic, I got Origin. I cleaned out some Origin stuff, and that freed up some things. Uh, It's kind of a nightmare of trying to manage all this stuff. Um, But yeah, as for actually playing games, uh, since we uh, did not do Let's Weekend, uh, I've been doing a bunch of streaming this past week. Uh, See, Sunday we streamed Operencia, the new game from Zen Studios, uh, which is a first-person dungeon crawler. Uh, and I've been really enjoying that. Uh, we played through about the first uh, dungeon and started up uh, a good bit of the second. And it's a, it's a really well-made game. Uh, there are a couple of issues I have. Uh, it's not turn-based. Yeah. So if enemies see you, they immediately start sprinting for you. Hmm. So like, there's an element of stealth, but it's really hard to kind of elude enemies. As far as I've seen, and I'll, I think you're eventually supposed to just fight everything. Because nothing responds, as far as I've seen. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is the the free look can kind of make it a bit disorienting because uh, there's no like uh, neutral way to move around. Like you could use the if you could use the D pad for that, so I could look around and still just move as I want. It would make it a lot easier. Uh, but the D pad is like a shortcut to the different parts of the the menus, mm. like inventory. Uh, character stuff, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's it's kind of the only real issues I have. But yeah, that's a game that, if you have Game Pass, you should definitely be checking that game out, if you're into that kind of game. Yeah. Um, it's really well made, and it's uh, it looks really nice. Uh, I ended up feeding some uh, bug parts to a mouth in the ground, so I could walk over it. As you do. Yeah, because uh, if he's fed, he doesn't have to open his mouth anymore. Uh, and that creates like a little bridge, but uh, that's that that forest area. The second area is a nightmare because there are spiders. Uh, and if you get enemies, some of the other enemies down that are in the same party, uh, they'll absorb them, they'll eat them, and grow huge. The giant spiders. That's mm. like, wow, this is fucked up. Uh, spiders are already big enough; they didn't need to be any bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I. On Tuesday, I played The Surge. Uh, that's on PlayStation Plus now, and that's uh, still a lot of fun. Uh, I played mostly the Walk in the Park DLC, which adds this uh, like demented amusement park uh, wing to the whole uh, area, yeah. which uh, is just really kind of fucked up place. 
Uh, there are mascots. Like, like yeah, anthropomorphic donuts. And yeah, there are mascots that are designed like uh, like snacks, hmm. like donuts, candy bars, like brownies. Uh, and then there's like a, a pop can kind of thing. Uh, and the the pop can and the brownie uh, shoot lasers out of their eyes. Uh, and that's real fucked up, uh, especially their face like Morse. It's like opens up like a, uh, I don't know, it like a robot and just shoots lasers out of there. And it's like Jesus Christ, <laughs> I'm already freaked up, uh, f- a little bit freaked out by them at the first point. But yeah, that's uh, nuts. And uh, yeah, just kind of worked my way through it. It's got to the point where I could do the first major goal for that area, which was sort of turn the network back on. And it locks you into a room with a bunch of uh, robots that just get spawned in. Uh, not the nightmare robots, but just regular ones. Yeah. Uh, which aren't too hard to manage, but uh, the the guy that's sort of helping you out is like, oh, this shit's going bad. It's like, that's the last thing I want to hear. Thank you. Uh, fuck off. Uh, but I ended up dying. And uh, yeah, that game is still a lot of fun. I definitely do want to put some more time into it, especially that DLC uh, hopefully it goes on sale uh, while it's on PlayStation Plus. Yeah. Uh, so people can get to the real weird parts of that game. Um, also played Toki Tori 2 uh, on the Switch, uh, which is just a really nice uh, puzzle uh, adventure game. Uh, basically, I have just two main uh, actions that you can do, which is a stomp and a whistle. And there's a, if you hold the whistle button, you do like a louder whistle. And so you're kind of doing these combos of the whistles to perform actions. And you can technically do them all up front if you know them. But if you don't, it'll teach you them naturally over the course of the first couple hours. Mm. And uh, that's just a really like pleasant and uh, well-designed puzzle game. It makes you feel like an idiot until you realize the, the solution to whatever you're working on. You're like, ah, I'm a genius. Until you feel stupid again. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that like game one has of those games that's like really ideal for the Switch or the platform. Yeah, hmm. yeah. It was uh, originally on the Wii U when it launched, hmm. and I found out near the end of the stream that uh, I technically had us was doing a six-year anniversary stream because it, it came out <laughs> that same day, six years before, hmm. uh, which was uh, a neat little thing to add on top. Um. Yesterday's stream, uh, I did a bit uh, a two-parter, a double-decker stream. Uh, I did the elusive target for Hitman 2, uh, which was sort of a rehash of one from the first game. So I kind of knew what to do. It was just all a matter of execution, which I managed to uh, do it perfectly, pretty much. Uh, Yeah, and uh, along that same path, you find the vampire magician outfit. Which is a real weird outfit they have hidden up in this Paris, uh, the, Par- the Paris map. Hmm. Uh, it's basically just kind of like a goth magician outfit. Doesn't really give you any superpowers or anything. But I believe if you get it while you're playing the the map in the regular mode, uh, there's like a whole set of challenges tied to that thing. Hmm. To do it on your kills is this weird thing that makes you uh, suspicious to everybody, <laughs> uh, which makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, so I did that and then moved over to Enter the Gungeon, which just got an up. It's like final content update, uh, which uh, I didn't get to check out any of that new stuff because I think it's all like late game stuff. 
for people that have been playing it consistently over the last few years. Hmm. And but I did get to check out some of the stuff from the I assume it was from the 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 other content updates, uh, which was called Gungeons and Dragons. Of course. Uh, and this game has some real good puns uh, for how it merges like gun names with uh, like traditional kind of uh, fantasy uh, creatures and such. Uh, I did have a boss fight against a Gorgon, which is called Gorgon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a Gorgon with a... What was it? I forget. It's some big gun just shooting lots of stuff at you. But uh, yeah, that game is still a lot of fun. Um, they did add at some point the ability to let you run when you're out of combat. Uh, so that means... Uh, you're not like slow because uh, that's like your default speed and uh, makes it easier to know when you're out of combat when there's no more enemies around because yeah. all of a sudden you just start speeding around uh, but yeah I managed to beat some bosses I unlocked some new uh, characters or yeah characters for the the main hub I unlocked like uh, somebody that sells uh, guns that you can add to like the the loot that can drop there's like an RPG, I think a Tommy gun, uh, and like rocket propelled bullets. Hmm. Lots of weird shit in that game. I essentially got the the gun that uh, Revolver Ocelot has in MGS3, uh, which is a uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, like it, uh, the 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 description for it is really well done. Because like, oh, you feel a sense of euphoria when you're reloading. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, that's that's MGS3, all right. <laughs> um. And yeah, that game's just a, a lot of fun. And uh, kind of following it up uh, with all the, the Borderlands stuff that's been going on the last few days, I checked out uh, Borderlands, the Game of the Year edition that uh, I got on PC because I already own the original uh, version, so they gave that out for free. And that's a bit of a mess up front. Uh, so it uh, brings up a launcher when you start it, and it kind of auto-detects what card you have. A graphics card, yeah, and starts changing settings based on that, yeah. And it didn't really pick the right ones. I need to. I turned off the launcher when it in game because it lets you do that and lets you turn off like the intro movies too, so you get to the game a little bit faster, uh, which is pretty good. But then it's it says it's lo- locked me in at like 1080p, 50 hertz. Oh. Uh, I don't think it's actually at that because I can I have the the FPS counter that Steam has up and it's I'm like in the hundreds like 100 mm-hmm. 120 or so, uh, but I want it because uh, it was like offering like you know 1080p 60 hertz or 75 hertz or something like that and I want to see if that that'll work better but also the controls are a little bit jittery I try to move the camera around with the mouse it's not as smooth as it should be so I had to do some uh, I and I editing, uh, which I found some uh, good tips on that, and that works a lot better. And yeah, kind of just trying to find the right uh, bit of settings to get the game working uh, better and looking better. Because I can have it at ultra; it works fine. That's where I'm getting like 90 to 100. Um, but there's like ambient occlusion, bloom. It's like I don't want any of that shit. Uh, in the game, it's uh, it's real weird. Like spending the first couple hours with, with that version, just trying to get the graphics sitting right so they don't make me uh, sick and don't make me feel like I'm 
playing a worse version of the game. Mm. Um, but yeah, once I got it settled down, it was going all right. Uh, I think it still needs some work, though. Might have to turn on the launcher again and close it and restart it again. Get it, just double check all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I just uh, did GeForce Experience, and that like actually worked. It's one of the few things yeah. that that program is actually good for. Yeah, yeah, I like the optimization of the GeForce Experience. It's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, for whatever reason, that game wasn't showing up as a GeForce Experience game. Mm. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I mean, the original one did. Maybe they just haven't yeah. added the, the new one yet. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Um, but yeah, they added some nice stuff to that game. So there's auto loot. So you run around the loot and it picks it up. Mm. Uh, I think That's guns good. you don't pick up, but like ammo and money. Yeah. You don't have to sit there because... Uh, if you, it's for just stuff that's dropped. So if you open up like mailboxes or whatever, and there's money in there, you can't have it auto pick that stuff up. Mm. Uh, so it's still a little bit weird. Um, and also the the loot that drops has been a bit weird. The, I got in the opening area, that little like uh, lot area that drops you in. Yeah. Uh, a, a level nineteen gun dropped there. <laughs> yeah, which, which I don't think you could use when you're just starting. Again. No, when you're level one, it's like you got to start. It's useless because you, by the time you get to level nineteen, you're gonna have way better guns. Yeah. Uh, so I sold it as soon as I could. Uh, but I've been getting some stuff like that where it's just like this is like level fourteen and I'm six, I think. Yeah. Uh, just weird ones. It's not like if it's a level or two ahead, it's fine because I can hold it and wait till I get that level. But yeah, it's it's also just weird playing this with a mouse and keyboard after being used to it on controllers uh, whenever I played it. <laughs> uh, especially because I had to turn down the sensitivity because it was just going way too fast. Uh, that game doesn't need you to be uh, super speed like Quake kind of controls. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's that's been fine so far. Uh, I've been playing Borderlands 2 uh, in the Handsome Collection on PS4. Because they released their ultra high res uh, HD texture pack thing, which is like a separate DLC that's free. Uh, it's like almost 16 gigs of a download. And so, Phil, you remember what the biggest issue which, with uh, Unreal Engine games last gen was? Uh, <laughs> I think that, it was texture pop in. Yeah, <laughs> that's still in the game. <laughs> so the textures look real nice, uh, but when you load into a new area, it takes like 10 seconds for them to show up. Ew. Yeah, and I've even Gross. had it be on uh, ammo. Like when you open up a box, like the ammo texture takes a few <laughs> seconds to load in. It's like, this is real fucking weird. I'm sure it's a lot more work to upgrade it to whatever more recent versions to get rid of that stuff. But I figure if you're going to do you know, this whole HD texture upgrade, mm. uh, that might be a part of that. Yeah. Because that would make it look a little bit better if it just popped in and not have to wait 10 seconds for everything to pop in. Because mm. that's all that game is, is textures. Those graphics are all textures. Yeah, uh, It's not about fancy you know, character models and all that. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, I ended up creating a new character and starting over, and that intro is not great. That's <laughs> uh, real fucking slow. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you don't need to teach me all the mechanics because I already know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I just want to get through this this shit and get to the part where it opens up. Uh, and yeah, that game has worse uh, boss puns than uh, Enter the Gungeon. Because mm. the first one you get to is, 
uh, boom and boom. And the second boom is B E W M. And it's like, this is just stupid. Uh, some of that humor does not hold up. No. Because uh, it's very much. Well, to say it held up me- suggests that it was ever good in the first place. Yeah. It was fine back then. Because uh, that's kind of what games were back then. Mm. Like Saints Row kind of did some of the same stuff. Um, I think Saints Row was a bit better. But, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle like humor stuff with Borderlands Three. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they when they did all the announcement stuff, they put out a shift code, uh, for the Handsome Collection, I think, that gives you like a hundred gold keys. Mm. So I've got a fucking shit ton of these things now. Is that still out there? No. Uh, I think it expired since then, but <sighs> they've been continuing to pop out more. So, uh, you look at like the Borderlands uh, Twitter accounts. And they've got some more recent ones on there, and I think people have been surfacing other ones because uh, there's just, there's a ton of them out there. I think I have like 170 now because hmm. uh, I because I think uh, if you they've like interconnected all the games now because uh, I think when I started up pre sequel I had those same keys in there. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't show up in the original Borderlands, but they have shift code support in there now. Hmm. And I think you can also go to the Borderlands site and put shift codes on the site now. So you don't have to load up the specific game and enter them in. Uh, so that's uh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah so like uh, it's in that town at the beginning of Borderlands. Uh, there's this one spot, this one building like right nearby is like there's just giant chests. I didn't. I was like, oh, loot. I looked at. It's like why is it not opening? I was like, oh, this is the shift. This is a shift chest. Yeah. Because uh, uh, that game never really had it, so it was neat that they added that stuff in. Uh, I'm always hesitant to use it because it's like, oh, it better stuff is going to drop. This isn't necessarily guaranteed to give you like top of the line guns and such. Um, but yeah, I've been doing some more quests in Borderlands 2. I played a bit with my uh, imported character from uh, the PS3 version and doing some stuff there. That's been pretty good. Uh, though I hate their maps because they don't properly tell you like where you, you need to go. Because uh, they layer on uh, different levels of the, the the map onto each other like it's just one. Mm. So I had one area I needed to go to, and it's like, oh, you have to go uh, into this underground area that I did not see. And it's, oh, it's from this quest. Like, I haven't played this in two years. I don't know where that any of that stuff was. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I really hope they upgrade the map system for three because it's – they just flatten it in such a way that it's hard to tell – you know, where there are actual different uh, level differences in that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that makes it a little bit harder to get around in Borderlands 2, uh, especially because you're... Uh, I was in this one area that was very tightly uh, interconnected, and you have to specifically go a certain way, and I just kept going the wrong way. It's like, well, there's something over here, huh? Nope. Uh, but yeah, when I started over... It's because I didn't get any of these story uh, quest achievements or trophies in that game uh, because I imported a character that was past all that stuff. Hmm. So I wanted to get uh, some of that stuff uh, with another character. Uh, she talks a lot of shit. Uh, I forget what the character class is. It's uh, uh, and The other thing I noticed uh, is that your uh, feet sounds are really fucking heavy in those games. Because uh, I was trying to listen for enemies that were coming around 
There's her trunk, 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 trunk. It's like she's a fucking little girl. Why the fuck does her feet sound so fucking heavy in this game? Uh, it doesn't make any sense, but hmm. yeah, those games are pretty good. Uh, Borderlands doesn't hold up so well. They made some nice changes to it, uh, but I think there's still more work to do if they want to make it like the ultimate version of that game. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that has been all right. I'm gonna put some more time into that stuff. Because uh, uh, there's plenty of time until three comes out. Yeah. September. And, yep. And that's been kind of it. Still trying to figure out what we're going to stream tonight on uh, the Twitch. Uh, I'm thinking maybe Kingdom New Lands or Two Crowns, whatever the new one is. Mm, yeah, it's Two Crowns. Yeah. I think New Lands got delisted off of Game Pass. Mm. So it'll be that, and I'll probably be one session the whole time because I've. Not good enough at it. Mm. Uh, I fucked up the first time I tried to play that uh, because I decided to go to one of the other islands and I forgot to bring other people with me. So I had uh, that and I wasn't depositing all my extra money uh, in the base. I was just letting it fall out because I didn't really understand that part of the game. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I ended up like getting to a point where like, oh, I have no people, uh, no money, and I'm fucked. You just kind of have to wait until uh, the enemies finally overwhelm you. I went to a previous camp, too, and the people that were there uh, are not there anymore. Like They just fuck off once you leave. Mm. Uh, which, sure, your king has left, so why do you care about what's going on? Mm. Um, but yeah, that's been pretty much it. How about you, Lee? Uh, I've been pretty pretty simple. I've been uh, slowly working through Dragon Quest VI. Um on the DS because we have um, we ended up fostering these two puppies which I'm sure we're going to adopt um, so they are still not potty trained so we're not and they're chewers so we're not letting them run around the house yet so I've been sitting on the porch with them because uh, we have a screen in porch and this part of our deck so I've been sitting out there to watch them and you know it works bringing out the the DS to to sit out there with them. So I've been doing that. Um, I put in some serious time on uh, Sekiro or Sekiro, however the fuck you pronounce it. Um, yeah. Started out with the Xbox version and was just having a horrible time. And I have an X, um, but the the frame rate it on the X uh, hops between thirty and forty frames a second. But um, it was really, really, really fucking with my ability to parry. And typically in any game where I can parry, I'm going to do it um, because I was a third strike yep. player. And, and like, and, and this was the first game I ever played where I legitimately had issues parrying and I just could not figure it out. And then finally somebody suggested to me, it really might just be you playing on the on the uh, the X um, and you know the, they were talking about how a lot of uh, from software titles have frame pacing issues and all of this and somebody was like you really should try the PC version so I said okay and, and the thing was is I, I'm doing my best to really like this game um, because the first time I, I started a playthrough on it on the um, on the Xbox I accidentally killed the merchant which you have an option to do um, and didn't realize, didn't put two and two together because I wasn't paying that much attention. Um, that if you kill the merchant, uh, you end up in like this flashback that takes you back like three years. And if you kill the merchant in that flashback, he's he's not. It doesn't look like it's the same person, but it's the merchant from the regular portion of the game. So if you kill him, you have no access to items. So that Ooh. I was probably like four hours in, just like running around and doing circuits trying to get. Um, 
uh, some XP because I feel like the game is tuned way too difficult at the beginning. So I restarted again. And so, you know, and I did a little bit better, but again, I was playing on the X and I, I knew the, I knew the enemy layouts and stuff like that, but I was still having a ton of trouble parrying. And then, like I said, somebody suggested I get it on the PC. So I got it on the PC and I blew through the first area that I had probably spent, like the first two areas I probably spent four to five hours on, um, on the, uh, the Xbox. I was pairing pretty much everything immediately because of the the frame difference. So having it, you know, 60 FPS or higher made a tremendous difference. Um, and I've gotten further into that game. I think I've probably put maybe eight or nine hours into it. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that are really like, they're really, really down with from software and everything else like that. And, and I can see why, but Sekiro or Sekiro is just, it reminds me of sort of, the worst parts about games that are difficult because like, you know, I, I didn't really play much of dark souls, but I have a lot of friends who play dark souls. And the biggest thing that they all told me that that worked for them in dark souls was that, you know, you could do an encounter a bunch of times and you, you learn something new every single time. Um, and, and so, and the game also had a lot of different builds that you can do and, and you could really kind of play it your own way. Sekiro doesn't work that way. You're very much supposed to play the game the way they want you to. And so like for certain bosses, you can cheese them or you can play them the way that, you know, against them that they were meant to be played. And so it, it feels very, very rigid in a way that I don't think the game that does the game any favors. And I think that one of the reasons why they've sort of been able to get away with that is that I think that a lot of the people, based on the, the feedback that I've seen, the reviews and different forums that I go to, um, it seems like a lot of these people that are that are into these games are in it um, in sort of like a masochistic way. Like, yeah, it beat my ass 150 times and I finally beat him. So, like, that's a badge of honor for them. And I, I understand that because I used to be the guy that would play everything on, like, the hardest difficulty. You know, I did um, uh, Ninja Gaiden Black and the original Ninja Gaiden on, on uh, uh, Ninja Master Mole was getting S's, doing all of that stuff. Like, I'm not... I'm not offended by doing anything for challenge, but the thing was is that the difference with this compared to a lot of those harder games that I played is that at, when I did die, I didn't feel like I was I was learning anything. Um, and so in a lot of ways, it, it felt like some of the some of the deaths and things like that that were happening to me um, were happening in the same way where you would get uh, like that sort of NES hard back in the NES days where it was just like they just stacked the deck against you, so to speak. And what's interesting is is that the difficulty at the beginning is very, very, very spiked. And then as you start gathering um, uh, XP and, and start unlocking things, um, the game becomes substantially easier. Um, and so the, the bosses don't ramp up to your skill level. It just seems like they're at a certain point and they're designed a certain way. Um, and there's not really any flexibility for the way that you would play it. There's a, there's, you know, typically it's been my experience. There's one or two ways to approach bosses and that includes the, the way that you cheese them. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a rigidness to it that, that I just, uh, while the game is fun, I haven't found enjoyable. And it kind of makes me wonder about the mindset of, of people that are really into those games. Cause I could see the merit of it. Um, I, I can, uh, I, you know, I've, I've, played plenty of games and seen movies and things like that that while i wasn't a fan of them i could totally see the the reason why other people would like it and i can't i can't really figure out why that is for secure like if you enjoy the challenge i could see that but 
what's interesting to me is when I was reading about this is that this started out as a Tenshu game, and you can very much see the DNA there. And I, I am a huge Tenshu fan. It's the reason I modded my original PlayStation 1 um, was so I could import that game. And so before Final Fantasy VII or anything else like that, it was Tenshu. Uh, Tenshu and Suikoden were like the gateway drugs for me on, on PlayStation. And it also seems like it's supposed to sort of be a Souls game. But the thing is, is it doesn't really dive into either one of those. It's this weird middle point. And I don't feel like it excels in either thing because the stealth portions of the game are really irrelevant because the only reason that you would use stealth is because they put so many enemies in the level that you're at that if you actually try to take them on in combat, they would murder you. Um, but I don't find the level design that intriguing or anything else like that. So it's just one of those games where I'm like, I, I really wanted to like it. And, and I'm going to keep playing it to do some more boss encounters, but I don't see myself sticking with it. Um, and it just kind of makes me scratch my head at like why – Everybody is so over the moon about from soft stuff because I feel like this would have been a really unique opportunity to have a, a stealth action game, which I feel like we're sorely lacking in this space, um, or, or you know, just another tenshu and then do a tenshu with you know some bosses that are a little bit more difficult. And I think you would have come out with a really good game. Or if you did a Ninja Souls game, um, I think that 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 would have worked too. But this game is neither one of those things, and I don't really feel like it excels at any one thing. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'm going to see how that works out. I'm, I'm, we'll probably get tired of it in the next couple of hours because that's the other thing. If any of you guys have played it, it's relentless in a way that it doesn't make you feel like any of your accomplishments from from enemies that you've beaten actually mean anything because even though it'll have like an open level essentially, you go from basically kind of like mini boss to mini boss to mini boss to big boss, and it and it – there's a lot of trash enemies around. It sort of feels like on some of the levels, it feels like a, a poorly designed raid where you have to get through like 14 trash groups just to get to the main guy. And then if that guy fucking murders you, you have to start over again. And, and, and again, I'm not, I don't have anything against difficulty or anything else like that, but it's just, it strikes me as really strange. And I, I just cannot figure out the mindset for people that really enjoy this game, except they like banging their heads against the wall. Like that's, that's the only thing that I could think of. Um, <laughs> So, so there's that, and I've been I've been playing um just kind of in my in my free time, I've been playing a uh, Poker Night two, um on Steam, which of course came out God I don't know probably seven eight years ago, mm-hmm. um, but it's one of those things that makes me miss like the Telltale stuff because just like listening to Brock Samson talk shit to like Claptrap or Ash from the Evil Dead, you know, talking shit to Sam and Max is just such a cool thing. And, you know, we're and like the game is delisted now, so you, you can't buy it anymore. But it's just one of those things that kind of makes me miss Telltale because these are those sort of really unique projects that I don't think you would have seen uh, with another uh, another group. And, and they're they're so cool. They're so well written. And, you know, it makes I'm not a, I'm not a big poker fan, but it makes like playing poker fun because you're you're playing with these personalities. So I'm doing that actually to do the unlocks from the game uh, for Borderlands 2 because I'm actually about to jump back into that. Um, because of the Borderlands 3 announcement, because I'm not going to buy Borderlands 3, at least for a while. Um, and uh, I have it for my son and I have it for my wife. So I thought, you know, this will be a fun thing for us to co-op. But they have um, – there's two things that you can win. There's like four things total you can win, like different skins and stuff. But the two big ones that I'm going for that I kind of have to grind out in Poker Night is, one, you can make the Gunzerker's hair look like Brock's from the Venture Brothers, which I'm like fucking all about. I love that character. Um, and then they have like a, a portal suit for the assassin that just looks badass. So I'm just kind of going through that to, to try and earn those. And I'm, I'm thinking about halfway there. Um, but yeah, so I mean that, that's been it. The, the biggest – 
sort of interesting thing for me over the last you know week two weeks has been has been Sekiro because that is just a what it what it, it's such an interesting game and I could see why people um uh would like it but I just I think you know I'm starting to hit that point in my life too where I'm noticing that some things just aren't designed for me anymore and I'm okay with that and this sort of feels like one of those things. So yeah, that's it. All right. Okay, so let's get on to our news topics uh, of the day, week, day and week. Um, so we'll start off. Uh, if you were following a few weeks back, we talked about the uh, Analog Mega SG, that uh, really nice FPGA Sega Genesis clone. Well, that's available for order now. I think it's starting to ship. Uh, nice. 189 bucks. Uh, from what everybody has been saying, it's another winner. <laughs> Uh, Kev Triss apparently really knocked it out of the park with this one, and they still continue to improve it. And they came in at a much better price point than their NES. Yeah, well, the, the most of the expense of the NES was the, uh, the the shell for it, which was all anodized aluminum. So, yeah, that was going to be pricey. Uh, but with the SNES and this one here, uh, yeah, they, they've gone, you know, plastic, and you can get it in different colors, and... 8-bit do have uh, controllers for it, so... Uh, and uh, you might appreciate this. It actually has an analog headphone, Jack Lee. I'm all about that, just like the OG Genesis. I'm down. It's like yep. the OG Genesis, and in the software you can change... You can not only change the uh, the levels to the headphone jack, but also the impedance of the headphone jack. Really? Yes. Uh, so, wow, yeah, okay. Could, yeah, so you could probably... You thought of everything. HD-800s HD on those, so... Uh, but yeah, it's a, a very nice uh, console. I would probably recommend uh, if you're interested in it, uh, get it now because I don't know how long these are going to continue to be made. Yeah, that's uh, one of those things I've thought about. I'm just I love the Genesis when I have it, but I don't have a lot of nostalgia for it. Like the Genesis, I had the Genesis before I had the Super NES, um, but the Super NES ended up kind of being you know producing two of my favorite games of all time. And I don't know, I, I feel like I'm I'm okay with emulation rather than having a because I've got the analog, the Super Nintendo analog, uh, which that is what called, which is awesome, yeah. But mm. it's one of those things that kind of has me like, that's really cool, but I don't I think I'll be good with the Genesis Classic and probably just hack that bitch. But still, yeah. the fact that they have that headphone jack, is that's dope. That's yeah. dope. Yeah. You can also hook it up to a Sega CD and it looks ridiculous, but it works. <laughs> uh, and I say it looks ridiculous because the thing is like half the size of a regular Genesis. So it just kind of <laughs> sits there. Yeah. Well, the compatibility is the important part. Yeah. So, well, you, I think it's cool they're doing something like this. Like having a project out there like this is nice, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, hats off to uh, you know, Kevin Hudson, who's apparently a really really talented engineer as I'm seeing. So, seems that way. Yeah. All right, so I guess we'll talk about our probably what is I guess the big story of the week is the border all the Borderlands 2 stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. two and three really uh, so uh, yeah Borderlands 2 got like review bombed on Steam because of the announcement that Borderlands 3 was going to the Epic Store mm. uh, a lot has kind of there's been a lot of fallout <laughs> for the uh, as a result of this so uh, yeah you like uh, apparently Randy Pitchford like threw a fit yeah yeah so so this is the thing and, and it is actually this is what's so funny about me coming back to 
to the show because I've been away because of personal stuff. But this is one of those things. I don't actually know much about Randy Pitchford. Like I had followed him a little bit just back when Borderlands 2 and, and the and the pre-sequel and everything were out because I actually think the Borderlands games are, are really unique. And I, I'm very surprised it's taken so long for us to get. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do. I think they're brilliant. I, they were, you know, I hate I hate these new terms like loot shooter and shit like that. But like this was the OG one and it had such a great atmosphere and such a cool world and everything else like that. So I would follow Randy Pitchford like on Facebook and stuff like that to get um, uh, codes for uh, for Golden Keys. And then so the whole thing that happened is, is basically, long story short, is that Epic – uh, bought exclusive rights to have Borderlands 3 on their store for six months. And, okay, you know, I think that's a whole different conversation to have. But what, what ended up happening was is that um, people started review bombing uh, all the Borderlands games. Um, and the biggest one was Borderlands 2 where they were review bombing it. And, and expressing people were expressing their uh, displeasure at having uh, having to deal with the Epic Store because there's been a lot of there's been a lot of shady things that have been going on at the Epic Store from like it's stealing Steam's data it um, on a, on a base level um, it doesn't have regional pricing which is a huge issue um, for which I think they countries. just started adding yeah. yeah. Right, and so it's some the the biggest, but the the core of it revolves around it's not nearly as robust as Steam, and like I think, I think you can argue that you shouldn't expect it to be because it's still relatively new. Yeah, they have uh, a Trello board with like all the stuff they're working on. Right, and, like, and they're that's, being pretty open about what they're adding into it. Right, and that's fine, but I think that the big thing that sticks out to me and has bothered me, and, and this is this will tie into what Randy is saying, is that the big difference between the two stores as far as the developers are concerned is the amount of money that, that valve takes compared to the amount of money that Epic takes valve takes 30%. What does Epic take? 12, I think it is 12%. Yeah. Yeah, So that's got a lot of people like, well, we want to do business with Epic so we can make more money. Okay, fine. What's ended up happening though, is that with this review bombing, like one thing to keep in mind, like out of the top, I think like 20 played steam games, borderlands two is still on there. Like this has been a super long tail game and a lot of that long tail has come from these PC players that have continued to keep it alive um, and, and have continued to do runs and to do builds and things like that. And what ended up happening was, is so with this review bombing, Pitchford and a lot of people basically got really, really pissy. And so like one of the things right after the announcement, but before they actually, there was a, a leaked picture that showed the Epic Game Store badge, but did not show Steam. Um, and so a lot of people started thinking, oh, this is going to be an Epic Game Store exclusive. And so they started hitting Pitchford up on Twitter and he wrote this response that said, and I'm reading it verbatim he says, hi, what part of uh, 2K slash Take 2 has exclusive publishing rights for Borderlands 3 and makes all decisions regarding price points, territories, distributions and platform partnerships please please direct all inquiries regarding these topics to 2K do you not understand? Love you. And so it's like, okay you're an asshole. Like I understand that you may not want to get hit up for these things, but you've been the public face for this franchise at least as long as I've been paying attention to it. And if you fucked your own announcement up and people had questions about this amidst all the issues that gamers have with the with the Epic Store and you're upset that they're asking you, then you're an asshole. And especially responding to the public that way. And, and don't get me wrong, a lot of gamers are assholes, and I'm sure they were not nice to the guy. But you're – you're not in this to make friends. You're in this to sell a product. And the best thing that you can do is make sure that the people that want to buy your product, the people that supported your product for the last however many years, don't feel like you're a douchebag. And with him posting that up, he kind of did that. And then what he ended up doing later is saying that after the review bombing stuff happened, 
he came out and he said um, he ended up doing two things. The first was is um, somebody posted something crazy on Twitter that says not cool at all to misuse the review system like this and shame on Steam games for allowing it. And that's because people review bombing Borderlands 2 and shitting on what happened with with Epic Games Store and Borderlands 3. Pitchford responded, ironically, uh, this mis- uh, that this misuse is possible and that Steam has no interest in correcting this misuse makes me kind of happy about 2K's decision and makes me want to reconsider Gearbox Publisher's current uh, current posture on the platform, which is insane. Like, you guys have the money you do because of console gamers and because of Steam. And what, however you want to frame this, however you want to look at this or anything else like that, the reason that 2K made this decision was because they were doing it for money, not for what was best for their customers and not even going where their customers are. They were doing it because it will make them more money. And, you know, this is, we know how Take Two operates. We've seen the way that they do with, with, they're used to dropping these big games and making hundreds of millions of dollars. And this strikes me as something where they're hedging their bet and they're getting money hatted to, to do this. But to react in this, in this way about your customer base, um, is insane. And then what was worse is that, Somebody responded to Pitchford and said this would not have happened if there wasn't an exclusivity deal. You, 2K, or whoever's responsible brought this upon yourselves, and it's your fault for everyone being pissed off. And his response, which cemented it for me, was, I wouldn't hit you if you didn't deserve it. It's your fault I am hitting you, in quotes. What the fuck is wrong with you in this victim-blaming bullshit? What? We're talking yeah. about a fucking video game here. And and what, what bothers me the most, and I'm sorry, I know I've, I've been really long-winded, is that I feel like um, what's going on now um, is people are missing the reason why – like Gearbox and 2K are missing the reason why uh, the people are so, about, are so upset about the Epic Game Store. And what, and what I mentioned before when we were talking before the show was I'd argue that in gaming, voting with your wallet does not work. It doesn't do shit because there are so many gamers out there that are willing to spread their butt cheeks and take it because some company is making a game that they want or a, a piece of software that they want. And they're willing to jump through hoops. And even though they know what they're supporting is bad, they look at it in this sort of vacuum and say, well, I'm only the person doing this. And they're not. And because of that, I don't think voting with your wallet works. And I, I think you can see that with the amount of monetization that's happened with microtransactions across the board um, to where people are building their games with microtransactions in mind and then removing those a year later once they've gotten the money and they've run. I mean, and you can even argue with things like uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey with that time saver boost, which seemed to split the community where there were a ton of people that were like, this is how you should have been leveling which means that they basically charged me 10 bucks to play the game the way it was supposed to. And then you had other people that were like, no, it's perfectly fine because they were okay with doing every single thing in the game. And so, and I think on a macro level, I think this speaks to a huge stratification that we've seen happen in the industry for the last five or 10 years. And we're in the middle of this indie boom that has put the back, the middle of the market that we saw drop out last generation. And it happened because the big publishers stopped it. There weren't 20, 30, $40 games anymore. It was 60 or nothing. And, 
I think what pisses me off looking at the rest of Randy's Twitter response is he's really tried to defend what they were doing and said that this was about consumer choice, which is so fucking stupid because it reminds me of like when EA was doing the Project $10 and they were like, this is about value. Like, no, it's not. It may be about value for your shareholders, but it's not for the people that are buying the, the end product. And if this really was about consumer choice, then Borderlands would be or Borderlands 3 would be available on Steam. It'd be on Epic. It would be on consoles. This is about money. And that's why they went to the Epic store first. And anybody like Randy or Gearbox trying to frame it in any other way, and especially at this point, like victim blaming because he's getting blown up because people don't like the decision, is being horribly intellectually dishonest. And now there are people saying that the Steam reviews and things like that should be shut down. Valve has actually um, moderated some of them. But the thing is, is these types of reviews, particularly in the PC gaming space, this sort of public shaming is the only thing that actually gets some of these developers to respond. And so the idea that, like, if you if you go to another platform where that's not possible or you censor the current platform, then you're taking away what I feel is one of the only ways that gamers can actually express their distrust and have it be listened to. Like, that's the reason why, like, on a political level, people call their congressmen and they don't send letters because nobody fucking reads those things. You know, but you have this much public outcry. People pay attention to this. And I think that's one of the reasons why this review bombing irks publishers so much is because it has an actual effect. And that's why people do these kinds of things. And what what it feels like to me as we've moved into this gaming space, and this will be the last thing I say because I know I've dominated all of this, is that it feels like what publishers want to do is that they want to control the flow of communication about their games between their users. And they want to use the feedback that they're only interested, like the box quotes, like this is the greatest game of all time. And they want to engage with you, but they only really want to do it on their terms. We see this happening with, with folks like, wow, we've seen it happen uh, just recently with Bioware. We saw it happen with Bungie. Um, and, and yes, review bombing can absolutely be misused. Um, but I feel like it's one of the only tools that we actually have right now um, that they'll pay attention to. And Gearbox is one of these people all of a sudden that's trying to lead the charge to shut that down. And it makes me not even want to do business with them, like period. Because I know voting with, with my wallet probably won't make a difference because millions of people are going to buy this game. But at the same time, I feel like you have to take a stand at some point. Like I'm not going to shill for some corporation just because they don't like – that we don't like the decisions that they made. You know? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I mean well, – and to me, it, Valve is you know also partially culpable here because they've got that system in place that – uh, is doing all it can to actually mitigate uh, those kinds of voices. Uh, it's it's like, I, on the one hand, I mean, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't want their platform to get completely overrun with shit, even though it kind of already yeah. is. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure like their, their efforts have been all that great in that regard. Uh, but on, at the same time, it's like, you know, this is the only outlet that we have left. Um, yeah. yeah, I think the yeah. communication system between the players and the the developers is kind of broken at this point. Because Twitter seemed like it could be that way. Like, hey, here's feedback for this, this, and this. And then it evolved into, you changed how my guns shoot in your multiplayer game. I'm going to kill you. And yeah. that's just shut down a lot of developers' ability to listen to people on their that platform because it gets... The good stuff, it's like, hey, this doesn't feel right uh, yeah. in your game, like these changes, and yeah. gets drowned out by the, you changed my favorite gun, fuck you, and I'm going to kill all yeah. your family and all that. And it's like, that's just how the internet has kind of changed a lot, yeah. uh, to the point where it's like, uh, developers are probably better off uh, 
just having on their sites like hey here's forms fill out you know what bugs you're having you know any screenshots you can get all that sort of stuff videos whatever mm-hmm. uh let people know and that stuff and yeah that stuff is kind of broken hopefully we find a way that makes it better for people to be mm-hmm. able to get their feedback in their legit feedback and not just you did this thing that I don't like. Well, and I, but yeah, I think, I think the other part of that too, though, is you have to have the developers also want to engage in that in good faith. Yeah. If you read they, that, did, did any of you guys read that Kotaku piece about um, Anthem recently about what, everything that went wrong with it, the, the big underlying thing that stuck out to me from that entire article was um, all of the stuff that the QAs and then all of the internal feedback that they had given um, said that a bunch of the stuff that was in Anthem simply didn't work well. And it was the same thing. Like there were there were internal people that they interviewed that said the same stuff that the reviewers banged us for, we had been telling upper management to fix for ages. And so I think as we transition into this model, and, and I think what's interesting about this is with Gearbox, Gearbox supported Borderlands and the, the pre-sequel games for a long time with additional content. So in a lot of ways, I almost feel like that was a blueprint of a services-style console game in a way, um, but not inching into that MMO-style territory that Destiny and Anthem have kind of jumped into. But when you see it's, – it's, it's difficult to look at all of these games having the same problem, and it all comes back to management's inability to take feedback, whether that's from gamers, whether that's from their internal people, or whatever the case may be. They have a problem, and yeah. I. It definitely doesn't help that gamers are can be like you know shitbirds to these people, um, and and yeah. and give horrible feedback. But at the same time, like if this is the business that you're going to be in, where you're expecting that kind of feedback, then I think that you also, frankly, have to be able to take the feedback and extract from it what you can, instead of like like Blizzard is a huge example of how this goes wrong because. If you ever watch, like they do, they've done more Q and A's now about Battle for Azeroth than I think they've ever done at any point for any expansion ever, and yeah. all of it revolves around we're listening to what you guys said, we hear you, we're making changes. Meanwhile, customers are fleeing from the game because the shit that people gave them feedback for in the beta that they said they didn't like, Blizzard went full steam ahead with anyway, and. Yeah. I, and we saw the same thing happen with Anthem. We definitely saw it to a certain extent with Destiny. And I, I have I have to wonder too if Borderlands will make these kinds of missteps with Borderlands Three, um, and and we'll end up in the same thing where it'll just be the game players going, "Why did you fucking do this?" and the developers being like, "Fuck you, we can't take your feedback." Like there something has to give, and I think it I think it has to be from the developers. Like, yeah. I don't think you, you're just not going to be able to control the way that people are on the Internet. What you can control is the type of feedback that you get and then you actually apply. And it's yeah. really easy to filter that kind of thing. Like any of us that have ever worked in any customer service facing business, you know what it's like to deal with a crazy customer. And you also know what it's like to deal with someone that's coming in with a legitimate problem that they're asking you to take a look at. And so, you know, on a larger scale, you have to be able to filter that kind of feedback. Like what you made a mention of a minute ago, Chris was, Oh, you, you know, you fucked up my favorite gun. So fuck you. Okay. That goes in the, we're not going to pay attention to pop. Whereas if somebody came back and said, well, you changed the properties of this gun. This is the way that it was used. Now it's not the way that we're using it. And this feels like it's kind of a mistake. Um, and here are the things that I think that you could change that would make it better. You put that in the that's feedback we're going to look at pile. But it seems like most of these developers aren't doing either of those things. They're just going, we're going to make whatever whatever we feel like doing, but then we're going to solicit the feedback from people and then not listen to it. And you, if you do that, you can't expect anybody that's buying your game, that's giving you money, not to have an adverse reaction to that. 
And I yeah. don't know how they fix that, except they've got to be able to stratify and they've got to be able to go, here's feedback that's worthwhile. And here's the stuff from the trolls and Pitchford reacting like that shows to me that they do not have that ability. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a tough problem to solve because at a point, at a certain point, developers have to make the game they want to make. Yeah. And there's, and very much like you said, like listening to everybody doesn't help anybody. Uh, you have to figure out like what's probably going to be the best stuff. It takes, it takes a lot of work and some real smart people to figure out like what's the best like feedback to use. Mm. And not many people have figured that out, like how to do that best yet. Yeah. I think that's something that's just going to have to keep evolving as these sort of games uh, continue to get made and worked on. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, I also want to say the, the whole like, Oh, this is the best uh, like choice for customers sort of thing. It's all about developer choices and how they go to different platforms. Cause there's not been much in the way of competition for developers in the PC space. It's usually just been, hey, here's, you know, yeah. here's these ten different launchers, these platforms. Uh, put on whichever ones you want. You have to deal with whatever bullshit they have. And Valve has done a lot of work to alienate people, uh, alienate like indie developers and the small people on there a lot. Because uh, I think I saw a poll that came out of GDC uh, a couple weeks ago that was basically, like, uh, you know, most Steam developers don't think Valve justifies their 30% cut. And that is why, you know, Epic is kind of feasting on these deals is because they're basically looking for any reason to not uh, go to Steam, at least primarily. Right. But I think that's the other, that's the juggling act too, right? Like what's great for the developers isn't going to be great. And I think in this instance has not been great for the customers. And so you can make a move that's great for your bottom line, but then if you destroy your ability to make that money, yeah, then you're just fucking yourself. So like, th- like seventy percent of something is better than eighty eight percent of nothing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Though it also depends because the thing I've learned about indies is that basically anybody that shows interest in their game as a platform holder automatically gets a leg up over anybody else. Just like, eh, whatever. Right. So like you see those deals that you know the people that release first on like Xbox or Switch or PS4, that's because Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo people. Like one of them's like, this game looks really cool. We like to help you, yeah. You know, get your game out there, and that helps a lot. And Epic has that, and Valve doesn't really seem to. Uh, they well, just go by, we have the biggest platform. Yeah. Take the money here, or get the fuck out, or whatever. Yeah. yeah well, Valve has kind of adopted this weird platform where, where they'll eff- effectively just publish anything. Yeah. Um. Where, even if it barely works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it gets to the point where a consumer who's going through the new releases has no idea what's good, what's not. There's literally hundreds of games coming out a day. Can't yeah. sort through all that anymore. Yeah, yeah, and their ability to like try to poke out the bad ones. Because so I think there was a game that came out purported to be uh, have some sort of deal with uh, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, but technically didn't. It just lied about them. Like proceeds from their sales would go to. Uh, this charity foundation is like, yeah. no, they were lying. Yeah, uh, it's like how you uh, not at least flag like anybody like preparing to, you know, uh, have charity attached to their sales, or yeah. you know, like the rape game, like that sort of yeah. stuff. Like they need filters to be like, okay, this needs to be checked by a human. 
yeah. if they somehow manage to just name their game like not rape game and it gets past the filters like okay yeah that's well yeah it's yeah i mean i, I think i think if, if epic wanted so the, the biggest problem that, that epic is the epic store is facing right <laughs> is it's it's steam junior right yeah like it, it's it's the it's the grocery store version of of coca-cola you know, or, or yeah. Dr. Pepper is, you know, Dr. Thunder or some bullshit like that. It's it's an imitation, but it's not as good as what you were getting before. So yeah. what Epic, I think, needs to do is that they need to then pivot and go, OK, we're not going to like and they've started to establish that identity of like we're not we're not Steam. We're going to curate this. We're going to be better for developers and everything else like that. But and all of that works well for that portion. But you've got to give you've got to give reasons for people to come to the platform. I think they've been trying to do that with like giving away free games and everything else like that. But when you look at all of the minuses, um, it's just one of those things that's like, until you get your platform up to speed with the other platform that people have invested, what God steam is how old now it came out with 2005, 2004. 2004. Yeah. Yeah, So it was basically an app life launcher at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so you've grown that. So even if, even if people jumped into the steam bandwagon in, in 2010, I mean, you have almost 10 years of people building up things like, like looking at all of our profiles and things like that. Sometimes we almost have 300, 400 games. Like, yeah. You need to give people a reason to come over there and like, you know, because you're, you're not even just things like friends list and nothing is compatible. And so I think the other reason that PC gamers are having such a reaction to this is that this really does bring, I think, for the first time, despite the other launchers that have been out there, I feel like this definitely brings an air of console wars to the platform that's supposed to be the most open and supposed to offer yeah. the most options for people. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of PC gamers simply aren't aren't used prepared for yeah that's yeah, been the prepared. funny thing is following them like oh how dare they go to this platform that's what i'm it's like i've been hearing for the longest time like pc is the best because you can just have these different yeah. uh, launchers and you get everything and yeah. it's like the sudden anybody takes advantage of that it's like oh they're the devil yeah it's like yeah. no calm down guys especially because most of these games are going to come to steam eventually borderlands 3 is six months it's like yeah uh and that's been the case for if you you know where they're you know, a mainline the the origin or you play or you know GOG their yeah. uh, launchers you had to wait anyway if you didn't want them on Steam. Yeah, and it's like those people have been used to this. Yeah, at a certain I, point. yeah, and it's just yeah, it's like these these PC folks are not are not prepared for it. And yeah, I think the most the most interesting that I, thing that I actually saw written about this was actually on on Reddit, and a guy just basically boiled it down to. Um, Randy trying to pull some uh, borderline – this is how the quote – borderline revisionistic bullshit. And he says, maybe if your company didn't put their greed for more money above the interest of your actual customers, which is what we've been talking about here, people wouldn't protest in the only way that actually gets a reaction out of you. Uh, and then he goes on further to say, I- I'm sure that you, that you would prefer um, that we actually leave you a message on EGS. But, you know, that's just another consumer-friendly feature missing to it, missing from it, which that's another thing. As far as I know – EGS doesn't have reviews. <laughs> no, yeah. no. And so that's the thing. So you, it, that's that's one of the things that also rings hollow about this is that Epic is like, well, we're going to curate this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Um, but they don't even offer the like. Okay, so what you were mentioning a minute ago, you guys, Chris, especially, you were talking about how that you know Steam will basically let you put anything on there and indies and all this stuff. What's happened, I've noticed, in the gaming press is and, – and I think this is just inherent to the way the gaming press works, and that's fine. But the big thing that you see for a lot of these indies to really start getting word of mouth is through those Steam user reviews. 
So while a big ass company like Gearbox that has 2K behind them might not want that and might care about being able to control the narrative about their games, some of these smaller indies have no real exposure except somebody on Steam took a chance, wrote a great review, and then that spread around to their friends. And what's and that's the part that's the most interesting to me is that Epic is supposed to be curating all this stuff, but you can't actually discuss legitimate feedback on like what may be lacking in the game. Like Sekiro was a really interesting experience for me because you have to mod the game to actually get it work working in a way that you would expect a PC game to work. Um, and the thing is, is all the user comments and the forums and everything that are attached to Steam, the discussion sections, people are already laying out. Here's how you need to get this fixed. Epic completely lacks that. And so, you know, and this will be the last thing I say is just going back to what that guy said on Reddit is he says there's no universe in which Borderlands 3 wouldn't have been a massive financial success, but you just couldn't pass a little bit of extra bribe money up, even if, if it, even if it meant fucking potentially millions of your fans. Borderlands 3 was going to print money one way or another, and the only people capable of hurting your success at this point are you and the other CEO shits around you. If you seriously thought this whole thing would go over smoothly, then I can't even put into words how out of touch with reality you must be. He says, you know which games didn't get review bombed this week? The ones that didn't engage in this anti-consumer business practice bullshit. And the guy had a quote from Take Two. That's the Take-Two CEO where the Take-Two CEO says, our approach is to be wherever the consumer is and we distribute very widely. And he says right after that, a company like that will lie straight to your face. No actual spine, ethics, or across and across all leaderships, we have the same problem. Cry me a fucking river, Randy. And that's kind of how I feel. Like they made a decision and they're upset that people are upset with the decision that they made. And they're, they're a company that didn't need to make this decision. That's the thing. Yeah. I could see it for somebody like, like – um, uh, what is it? Uh, Greg Cassavan's company. Why am I drawing a blank? Supergiant. Yeah. I could see them. You know, they're still an indie studio. They definitely have had some hits, but doing something exclusive on on Epic Store would make it so that they had some capital to keep moving forward, keep building their game, do an early release. Yeah. And, that's and, basically and where that they're doing early access. Important. Yeah, but for for somebody like this, for for Borderlands, this is just greed. That's all it is. And to frame it any other way is really dishonest, and it, it just makes me not want to fuck with these people anymore, which is a shame. Because I'd actually really like to play Borderlands 2. But now I feel like it's like I'm doing that old thing like where you would do with a console game. You're like, fuck them. I'll buy it used. You know, like it feels <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like whatever I can do to not give them money. I just think mm. it's just a shitty way to treat your customers. And these will be the same people down the line that are screaming that they're the ones that need to shove microtransactions down your throat and all these other things because they're not making the money that they're supposed to. And this was a game they didn't need to do it to. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll uh... – We'll leave it there, I guess. I just want to say a couple of things about the Epic Store, because first of all, it's the platform is not where it needs to be right now. I think everybody's going to agree with their, with that. Yeah. Uh, I do like the fact that it is competition to Steam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in a lot of ways, it's doing what Steam used to do, uh, you know, in, in that it seems to ha- try to have a higher standard. Yeah. And uh, just the lowest common. They were kind of like the radical guys putting these new yeah. features in that nobody else tried. Yeah. So, but now you know there's got to be a whole lot of catch up to get to to get the platform to well, let's face it, a level of polish that people have come to expect now. Yeah. Uh, we we all shit on Steam Launcher, but as 
you know, it has a lot of the stuff that we just, we like, you know, yeah. uh, access to forums right there, uh, access to reviews, yeah. stuff like a workshop, uh, badges for the whole gamification thing. You know, Epic doesn't really have any of that yet. So no. it's, it's great and it's going to come, it, it'll get there. Yeah. Unfortunately, I still can't trust it. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, this might sound a little crazy, uh, but I have seen people who have done uh, network captures of the Epic Store launcher, and there have been traffic that has been going to China. Right. That's the other part of it. And these are the yeah. people you're going to trust with your credit card information and everything else of that because they give yeah. you free games? Like, fuck you. Yeah. It's like, okay, why is something that's uh, basically just sitting there supposedly allowing me to download uh, games sending stuff to China that I have no idea what it is because it's an encrypted blob. Why is it going in there? Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, until we could get some... The only other thing, too, Phil, that I think is important for that, too, is you can't do any... You can't generate keys for EGS, so you're not, you can't use storefronts. Like, I think the competition is great, but you can't do storefronts uh, selling keys like you can with Steam, like from Fanatical, uh, Humble... Um, and and uh, was it uh, CD keys places like that GMG Epic doesn't do that at all and so yes. that's another another anti-consumer thing here where like I have a couple of different places I can purchase keys from and possibly get the game cheaper you can't do that with Epic so like you said they're they're sending information to China we don't really know why um, they're offering less options for the consumer as far as where they can purchase and how they can purchase the games um, just you know for their platform. And on top of that, they, they're not allowing any of the actual community aspects that make PC gaming so great. On top of all the technical stuff that, they, that they're having to deal with, the only real thing that they have in their head is that they're getting games that, that won't be on Steam for a while. And I think, at least for me, and I'm pretty sure it's probably for you guys, I've got a couple of hundred games I could play. So losing out on a few is not that big a deal, at least to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the whole keys part is something that's a problem in the short term, won't be in the long term, because, uh, y yeah, if developers want to go on the Epic Game Store, that's that's great. There's going to be a lot of, uh, well, a lot of those developers who want to get the word out about their game, and uh, they do that by sending out keys to press. Yeah, I'm looking at YouTubers their Trello, and they do mention co-redemption, something they've done recently. Yeah, so it's like, uh, it, it's on their radar. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be, it's among the stuff, uh, uh, it's among the uh, to-do list with the... Uh, oh, I think it's on their recently shipped to China. stuff. Yeah, so there's that. All right, so uh, yeah, Epic Game Store, uh, yeah. we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll touch on Casey Hudson at BioWare has basically said they're going to be looking at uh, the problems over there, which uh, kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, there's lots of weird stuff in that article. What a like, mess. Uh, so... You remember all the memes that came out about Andromeda? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, they did not like them so much. They spent a ton of money on the character mocap and performance capture and all that. Uh, so that you couldn't meme their uh, story character stuff. Which is like a real weird thing I saw. It's like, okay. Uh, well, it happened anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and it happened because Frostbite is just not an engine that's designed to work the way that Bioware makes those games. And they we know they had that problem with Andromeda. We know we had it. Was was Dragon Age Frostbite? Inquisition? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it was yeah. Frostbite. And all of that came from a from a, a corporate higher up that was like, we should just have to use the same, same engine because we're not. We don't yeah. want to pay to license other things. And yeah. what's happened is is that those that decision amongst the the problems with leadership that Bioware has, and you can especially see it in that article because it was very similar in the same sort of deconstruction of Mass Effect Andromeda, which was nobody over there will make decisions. It seemed like except Casey Hudson, and then he left, and then he came back, and you know, I, but that goes back to the whole money thing that we've been talking about previously. This whole conversation is you make that decision for money, but it ends up costing you money because people aren't buying your shit. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, the sort of th- like that's not always the greatest way to handle things. Like, hey, we all need to be on this one engine because uh, there's not that many engines that are great at everything. No. Like, even if you can eventually like mod them and work on them to get them to work fine, uh, it's kind of best to let developers work on what they're most comfortable with because that's where you get the best results. Yeah. Because like Sony has their own internal engine. That's uh, the Decima engine. Mm-hmm. That is uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, Death Stranding, a couple other games. But you know what? Naughty Dog works on their own engine because that's what they're comfortable with. That was the thing that crippled Square for a generation. Was then what was it? The White Engine or whatever? Then they just could not get the shit to work the way that they wanted to. Yeah. Like, All right, we're going. Capcom with had trouble with that because they had their MT framework yeah. that worked well for early on. But as they continued to try to uh, make games last gen, like it just kind of got more off the rails with a lot of their stuff and that kept them from making a lot of stuff early on this gen. Well, one of the things year or so that they've gotten back on track. One of the things that happens, and I can say this because I work for a software company is unfortunately, sometimes you get stuck with tools that that don't work for you. And one of the, one of the core things that differentiates, I think a good software company from a, from a middling one or, or a poor one is the ability to take the feedback from the troops that are on the ground and say, what you've given us doesn't work and we've got to do something else. And it, yeah. especially with, with reading about um, Anthem and then particularly with someone like Casey Hudson coming back, like when you read that article in Kotaka, I mean, they, it, it sounds like people just just fled from Bioware, which is the same issue that, that uh, Blizzard is having right now. Um, and, and, you know, they're reducing workforce and all this stuff. Like, at the end of the day, this is going to sound like so, like, fucking ridiculous, I imagine, to some people. But at the end of the day, people are the ones that make these games. People are the ones that make this software. It's not the company and then the people underneath it. It's the people in the actual company that make these games great. And if you continue to, to stymie them, if you continue to kneecap them, um, and stop them from doing the things that they are good at because you have some higher up who doesn't understand how any of it works telling them to do things a certain way, then you end up with these problems. And this is the shit that kills companies is you have decisions made by people that don't understand, number one, who they're selling to as the outside consumer and then also who they're trying to work for as the inside consumer, which is the, the people that are developing their software. And they took an engine that is great for shooters and they grafted it onto an RPG and it just – you and they never fucking work that out yeah. and it doesn't so even if you have leadership at the top like someone like hudson like if you read that article about anthem they talked a lot about how when when hudson was there every they, they said he was like uh captain kirk and that the people on the anthem theme were the enterprise so everybody was laser focused on what they were trying to do and then the minute that he left everything fell apart yeah. and what was interesting too is that the um the bioware guys didn't respond to schreier's article be, uh, at first, and they, when he published the article, like an hour later, they sent out a bullet point response 
that said they weren't going to, or they responded to Schreiner and said they weren't going to comment on the article because it was, he was basically taking down people internally and he didn't really do that in his article. So that really also makes me wonder about the kind of conversations they were having internally because it sounds like a lot of the, the, the rank and file at Bioware maybe like Casey Hudson, but they dislike everybody else that's at the company because the doctors are gone and everything else like that. And a lot of the people who made some of their other previous games successful have left to do their own to start their own companies as well. So it sounds like they have a bunch of middle managers now that don't actually understand what they're good at and they're fucking crashing the company. Yeah, it definitely seemed like from what I read was that the way they were making games was just causing people to burn out so fast. Uh, in a way, like they would offer, like, "Hey, you can take a stress vacation." They realize, oh, everybody wants to take stress vacations. Uh, right. It's like, oh, that should be a sign, like, hey, maybe you need to rethink things. And they were kind of doing like an old school kind of development approach, like everything's going to come together at the end. We just have to put, you know, extra time in, and it'll all work out. And that eventually just grinds people in the dust. Yeah. And yeah. emotionally, mentally, physically, all that stuff, like it. It's the reason why a lot of people leave big companies and start their own indie developers that they can yeah. work on more reasonable schedules. Well, you know, that's one thing you got to give uh, Ubisoft credit for. You don't really hear a lot coming out of their camps about people burning out and management being a fucking wreck. And, and maybe that's why now when you look at like an Assassin's Creed title, there's like 1,200 people working on it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, what it, you know what it reminds me of as, as an analog to that is like, you guys have Chick-fil-A where you live? Yeah, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Well, and Phil, you might appreciate this. So all of you guys, I assume, have been to McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. Right? You go to McDonald's at right. a certain time. You can catch one person on the front counter and then like two people in the back cooking the food and maybe one person on drive. So you have four people that are trying to handle orders from the drive through the front counter, get things cooked, get things bagged, do all of that shit, right? And so it ends up just making everything super fucking slow, right? You go to Chick-fil-A, there's like 35 people behind the counter. Right, like there's somebody that's doing drinks, or somebody that's doing fries, or somebody that's grabbing sandwiches, or somebody that's doing bags. There's three people in the drive-through. They have a queue line to line up the fucking drive-through bags at the front. Like one of the Chick-fil-A's by us, they have eight registers up front, and they are typically always manned by one person. So you have eight people working the front, even if there's only five or six customers in the actual store. And so what that allows them to do is they get everybody in and out efficiently, and all of their employees, even though they're making the same amount as the people at McDonald's, seem happy and that's because they're not getting fucked in the ass six ways from sunday because management only wants to pay for four people when they need like 12 and yeah. ubisoft seems to be chick-fil-a in this instance where yes they have a huge amount of people that work on their games but you just don't hear that much coming out of their their development pipeline where people are like working here blows dicks but you hear about any of these companies that are underneath uh, ea um and they're just like i like taking stress leave for three months is insane like you're not a hostage. So if, if that's the way it's making you feel, and I can understand that because, again, I, I work for a software company and I've been in positions where I've worked 14 hours a day and they had an end game to get us out of that. It sounds like when we're reading about so many of these companies that are having these problems, they don't have any of that end game to fix any of this because they. it sounds like a lot of them don't feel like the issue is um, a staffing problem, which if you if you don't have any leadership – and then you also don't have enough people to execute the vision that leadership can't decide on, then you create a ripe situation for burnout to happen. And yeah. you, it sounds to me like with a lot of this stuff, they're also understaffing people. Again, people can make fun of Ubisoft all they want. Well, there's 1,200 people that made AC Odyssey or whatever. But 
you don't hear people talking shit about it internally. They're not the ones reaching out to Schreier and going, I would seriously rather like smash my dick with a hammer than work at Ubisoft. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's something to that. So it sounds like at least even if Ubisoft isn't producing games in particular that I care for all that much, at least they're taking care of their people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're French, so... Um, yeah, I imagine the labor laws got a different are culture a little bit different, there. too, yeah. In America, yeah. they're like, fuck you, let's grind you to a, to, a, to a little nub. And that was the other thing reading about that in that Anthem article was... Um, and I talked about this with, with somebody on a forum. Like, a lot of the issues Anthem is having is their games as a service model. I, I, I could not understand why Bioware was having them, because Bioware has also developed The Old Republic, which had a rocky start, but it's still a pretty decent game now. Um, and reading that article, apparently the Edmonton people over at Bioware basically treated the Bioware Austin folks, the guys that did the Old Republic, as if they weren't shit and they didn't know anything. And so apparently there was a real breakdown in their feedback loop where the Bioware Austin people were like, we know how to avoid these problems that you're going to run into right now. And the Edmonton people were like, fuck you. So yeah. that was also something that's just astonishing to me. If you have people that are good at something like that, then you, yeah. you work with them. You don't. It kind of sounds like, like they're not here, so they're not as important as we are. Yeah, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and that and the thing is that kind of arrogance and that thought process is also something that's propagated by management. Like in the military, they call it command presence, where the idea is is that everything starts from the top down, which is ironically something our own president doesn't do. But everything starts from the top down. So the 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 leader of of that team or that group or whatever is responsible not only for all of the team's successes and failures, but also their behavior and their reactions to those successes and failures. They set the tone. And that's what command presence means. And when, when I hear about all of these things happening, like so much of it comes down to a failure of leadership. Because if you can't tell people in which direction to go, then nobody knows what they're doing. I mean, you guys remember all the stories with Square where somebody worked 20 hours on a rock? Remember that with Final yeah. Fantasy thirteen? This is the same yeah. shit over and over and over again. And it's it seems to be almost endemic to a lot of these big AAA developers. And, and the only thing that I can come to the conclusion of is that it has to be management not being able to make decisions. And it's always hampered by those financial decisions like engines and everything else like that. And you're, you're working against what makes people make these games great. And you can't believe in some weird-ass magic like they did at Bioware. Like the Bioware magic will come together at the very end because it didn't. <laughs> nope. All right, so we'll move on from there. Uh, Rage 2, we've been following it for a little while. It looks insane. Um, now it's going to be more insane because uh, Tim Kitsuro is on board <laughs> doing commentary for it. <laughs> I didn't so, know I wanted this, but I wanted this. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know why uh, this hasn't happened sooner. Uh, I think. Well, I think he might have actually done a stint with Unreal. Uh, I think it was Unreal Tournament Three, possibly that he that he was in there. Uh, I know he was in Dota Two. Yeah, uh, and he is the commentator for Mutant Football League, which is a, a horribly underrated game that a lot of people should should look at. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be handling commentary duties uh, as a cheat for uh, Rage Two. Uh, to kind of go along with that, it looks like uh, some of the cheats will be pre-order incentives. Uh, I suspect you'll be able to unlock them regardless of whether you pre-order or not, but this is weird. I don't know. This, I don't know what you, what you guys think of this. Cheats as pre-order bonuses? Yeah, that seems uh, a bit weird to me. 
Well, coming from Bethesda, of all yeah. If you, if you play it on PC, you don't need that. They'll they'll come out with a trainer or a mod or some other shit, and you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I plan to anyway. But what a what a just... weird what a weird thing, man. Like I know my son sounds like I know he gets tired of hearing. I'm like, you know what? When I was your age, games had like cheat code. Like I was telling him about like Grand Theft Auto came out. Like with three, it was like if you just wanted to have fun for ten minutes, you turn on all the ammo cheats and fucking spawn a tank and just go to town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was like how you play that as like a party mode. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here, let's don't... give you all the weapons and all this and see how long you last. Yeah, it just doesn't exist anymore. That yeah. whole thing, which is a shame. Yeah, no more up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA anymore. Now uh, you got to pay for your cheats. Uh, but I'll still be buying this because it really legitimately looks stupidly fun. Uh, yeah, Rage 2. Like, the original Rage was kind of an average shooter. It was okay for what it was. Uh, but this one seems to be just going for the over-the-top, let's just not take ourselves too seriously and go completely nuts vibe. And I think it's working. So, yeah. Rage 2. Yeah. It's software. It's still around. Well, although technically this is done by Avalanche, but anyway. Uh, see, we got some Square Enix news. Uh, apparently Hideo Baba is leaving Square Enix, which is strange. Yep. Any reason? Uh, I don't think there's anything that's said. Yeah. Uh, okay, in official statement, Baba said accompanying a change in studio is Stolia's management policies. I'm not saying I resigned as representative representative director in December 2018 to make room for the next generation. Also, March 2019, I resigned from Square Enix. Huh. I guess he just got fed up or something. Something. Yeah. Just, yeah. So I don't know what's going First on. First Namco and now Square Enix. Yeah. It's like, yeah, maybe he just doesn't want to make games anymore. You know, that does... That Burnout does is real. Yeah. If we hear more, we will uh, report back. What else we got here? Oh, we have uh, Nintendo, uh, yeah, the uh, Nintendo Switch Online April offerings for the NES. Yeah, uh, they're finally at three games again for the first time this year. Uh, They've been stuck on two for whatever reason, like shortchanging the West on uh, games. And so, yeah, this month they're doing uh, Super Mario Bros. Lost Levels. Uh, If you want to find out what uh, a Super Mario Bros. game looks like when the developers hate you, uh, there it is. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they have Punch-Out! featuring Mr. Dream and Star Soldier. And, uh, yeah, and the NES library is how big? Uh, um, several hundred? Maybe like 35? Yeah, yeah, they got like 35. So at three, if they continue at three a month, it will take approximately 20 years to get the entire NES library on there. So uh, good on them, Nintendo. Probably at Switch 64. <laughs> yeah. Or something. All about that applied effort. Yeah, there is. A, there have been rumors of uh, a couple of Switch models coming out soon. Uh, so yeah, yeah, a Switch Lite and a Switch Pro. Which Maybe one of them can do Super Nintendo games. <laughs> yeah, no, M- MVG actually did some overclock testing on a on his Switch to kind of try to simulate what a Switch Pro might actually be like. Uh, and uh, it would be, well, it'd be substantial. Probably wouldn't be like a huge gap jump, but it would be noticeable. Your battery life would be about thirty minutes. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's already not very long as it nope. is. Nope. So, 
Yeah. The Switch Lite is kind of uh, an interesting idea in that it's a non-dockable Switch. Yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing that would be kind of to replace the uh, the 3DS at this point. Yeah, because yeah. 3DS has next to nothing coming out at this point. I just feel like that's still a dumbass move to make. Like, you're you're handicapping the thing that makes the, the system so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, there are a lot of people that just play the Switch in handheld mode. I know. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually one of them. I very rarely yeah. play docked. But I'm one of the people that yeah. plays only in docked, pretty much. And same. I would yeah. love to have something that replaces my 3DS. Essentially, like I can play the 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 Switch stuff on that, and it's something I can stick in my pocket. Mm. Like something that's like Vita sized, be perfect. Because yeah. the current one is like just unwieldy enough. To that it doesn't leave like much further than my room. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the rumors of this um, don't seem to be going away, and they actually seem to be getting stronger. So I think there's yeah. probably some credence to this. Uh, I would expect we'll probably be hearing a Nintendo Direct very shortly about something. Yeah, yeah. a summer release for those things would be great. Yeah. Fill in some holes in the way the releases go during the summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some other Nintendo news. Super Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild will be playable in VR thanks to the, the Labo VR kit. Yeah. And what they get. VR. Yeah. <laughs> Quote. Uh, I did like, I saw a good uh, meme image of Mario looking into the, the the Labo VR and it shows like what he's looking inside. It's an empty box. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Nobody put a switch in there. No, it's just, he's looking in an empty box. box. Um, but yeah, the what the games are getting. Let's see, they got them here. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, it's a bite-sized bonus experience in simple, family-friendly VR. Revisit the Cap Seaside and Luncheon Kingdoms in three new mini missions. Doesn't seem like too much there, but Breath of the Wild says, uh, enjoy this epic adventure like never before. Turning this feature on and off is a snap. The Vast Kingdom of Hyrule awaits. So you might be able to play that whole thing. I don't know how. Yeah, like well, apparently third person. That's what it does sound like. Is that you can? Yeah, like third person VR, I guess. Probably, or maybe it's a camera mode. I guess. Mm. Might be. I don't know. First person, you know, first person Breath of the Wild does not sound like a very good idea. No. Uh, yeah, that game already doesn't run that well in regular, yeah. uh, regular Switch mode. Mm. Well, at least Labo is still being supported. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, in other news, uh, there's a crazy person who made Super Mario Maker inside of Little Big Planet 3. Yeah, this is this As is pretty do. crazy. Uh, you make a, a level maker inside of a level maker. Yo, dog. Yo, dog. Uh, <laughs> it seems to be a fully featured thing. Uh, it has and, Mario sprites in there and all that stuff. And Nintendo's probably pissed. Yeah, but it's not Super Mario Maker 2. Yeah. They've got the new stuff. Um, but yeah, this is pretty cool, and it kind of just makes dreams even more exciting. It's like if you can do this in something that's as limited as Little Big Planet Three's Maker, uh, what yeah. can you do in dreams? Yeah, that's that's gonna be crazy. Yep. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, but if you want to play, if you don't have a Wii U anymore, or you don't want to play the 3DS version, uh, just pull out Little Big Planet Three for the PS4. Yeah. You enjoy that for the time being. And uh, unlike the Wii U's uh, online offerings, uh, this still works. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so. 
I think you look for the creator Claptrap Nine. That's <laughs> Claptrap yeah. Nine. Uh, not uh, not at all related to Borderlands. <laughs> no, this is this is the ninth Claptrap. This one just yep. makes a little big planet uh, levels. Just yep, just a little big planet. Uh, okay, and uh, okay, what else we got here? Uh, some rumors that we can comment on and speculate on whether they'll actually be true. Uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Uh, apparently, uh, The Walking Cat had this uh, earlier. Uh, there's uh, going to be a fourteen ninety nine a month subscription that basically combines Game Pass and Xbox Live. I don't think there's anything too surprising about this. No, it's just you're paying an extra tax and what you could get the both of those subscriptions individually for. Yeah, you, which I'm sure Microsoft is counting on just the convenience of it. And people forgetting about it. Worthy. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I think uh, when you get near your expiration date on gold, they offer you 40 bucks on the dashboard. In <laughs> um, Game Pass itself, you can get you know six months. I think currently right now you get six months for 30 bucks. Yeah. Uh, mm. and it's like, yeah, that's five bucks a month. Uh, yeah, like three bucks for the gold. That's a little bit. Yeah, more than half. And by the same token, I think uh, you know this will probably also be heavily discounted as well. Yeah, you know, Best Buy, Amazon, you'll probably be able to find these for uh, fairly cheap. And one subscription to manage is a little bit better than two. So yeah, uh, if the discounts are still there, then yeah, I could see people going for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if I ever get myself an Xbox One again, um, I, I'm hesitant to even jump in right now because I know uh, Scarlet is around the corner. Yeah, it seems like the worst time to jump in on that front. Yeah. Unless no, you're not going unless you're really all in on playing something that's out right now or coming out yeah. this fall. Mm. From I guess you probably don't. Not really. It's just like, <laughs> oh, how's Crackdown 3? Oh, it's okay. Uh, I can play it on PC anyway, yeah. so, you know. I want to, but I still wouldn't want to because that game is terrible. So yeah. Uh, finally, uh, it took them long enough, but Sony finally added refunds to uh, PlayStation Network. Yeah, and for pre-orders at least. That's for everything, uh, or at least hmm. a lot of things. They they smartly in this uh, this whole page like lay out the various scenarios. Um, hmm. So yeah, let's see games, game add-ons, season passes, in-game consumables, and PlayStation Video. Uh, you can cancel digital content purchase within 14 days from the date of purchase and receive a refund to your PSN wallet provided you not started downloading or streaming it. Uh, digital content... Which is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> because what's the first thing that the PS4 does when you make a purchase? Yeah. Uh, it, well, on the console, I think, but not on the website. Yeah. Uh, the website, I usually go to my download list immediately uh, and start yeah, downloading. And click the... Yeah. Um, but yeah, digital content, you have started downloading or streaming and getting consumables that have been delivered are not eligible for a refund unless content is faulty. Uh, you can cancel your purchase of a season pass within 14 days from the day of purchase and receive a refund to your PSN wallet, provided you not started downloading or streaming any content. Uh, for consumables, uh, they're delivered when you lo- next launch the game, but until then, you have up to 14 days to cancel it. So as long as you don't start the game, you can cancel that stuff if you need to. Hmm. Um. So yeah, there's a uh, there's options there. 
Yeah. Um, I wonder what the definition of faulty would be because uh, Fallout 76 might qualify. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They've been willing to do uh, refunds for that sort of stuff. Yeah, they haven't been. At least they've been. Uh, sort of okay they're giving people refunds when they've asked for yeah. it. But, um, pre-orders, uh, you can cancel pre-order digital content anytime before the release date. Receive a mm-hmm. refund to your PSN wallets. If it's passed, uh, you can still change your mind and request a refund as long as you have not started downloading it. I think the download stuff is the interesting part of this because they can't do it by play, uh, by how much you play, because you could essentially download it and then use an alternate account. Start playing that stuff. Yeah. Like people could essentially like farm this stuff in a certain way. Of like, oh, mm-hmm. this downloads it and you got fourteen days to play it with your real account. Uh and then get the refund. Like that's a weird way to do it, but um but yeah, they Yeah, that's uh one of the other ways. Promotional bundles. You can cancel your purchase of a promotional bundle within fourteen days, as long as you haven't download start downloading or anything. Uh Let's see subscription services. You can cancel your purchase of a subscription to PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, or Spotify Premium. Uh, and request a refund to your PSN wallet within 14 days, even after you start using the subscription. So you can refund that stuff pretty easily. So if it accidentally yeah. renews when you didn't want it to, uh, you can get that money back. Uh, it says they may uh, do a pro rata uh, refund. Uh, so if you do it like a week later, they might just take that couple extra cents off of it. But, mm. uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah, PlayStation View uh, has the same thing. You can cancel your subscription anytime, but any payments already made are non-refundable unless otherwise required by law. So I think it just, you effectively end your renewal and you have to go until that sub is ended, which yeah. that is kind of a separate thing, thing anyway. <laughs> Uh, let's see. You cannot cancel a PSN wallet top up. So if you're just filling up the wallet, you can't get that back, which makes sense. Mm. Um, you cannot cancel or obtain a refund for the change of online ID. So if you change your username, you can't get a refund on that. Yeah. yeah so make sure you got the right name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could see that being convoluted. Yeah. And they do not provide refunds for purchases made out of PlayStation Store, like voucher codes and all that. Well, yeah. I, hope, I hope not. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they say you know, contact supports uh, if you want them to do the refund. Hmm. Yeah, so it's yeah. Not, uh, I do like that they're yeah, like they're... explicit about these various things, whereas like Microsoft's is incredibly nebulous. So I still yeah. know that it's actually publicly available yet. Is it? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I think it might I still be insider gone, only. Right? Like the fact that we don't know is the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Like I tried to do a refund. I said this before. I tried to do a refund for Danger Zone Two. I only downloaded it. I didn't start it. And so it's like, yeah. well, as long as you haven't played more than two hours, or and it's been within two weeks, it's like okay, that's that's all true. And it's like all right, we're gonna check. And they couldn't fight, figure out how long I played. And so yeah. I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> uh, I tried to forward it. I should try to do the manual one through the sites. Uh, through their CS, and they're like, yeah, we can't do this. It's like, well, this refund policy sucks. Uh, and I had to eat it. Yeah. Mm, it's like, bummer. that, it's, because it's also like, you have to do, try this, this, and this, uh, for like, uh, Xbox Live account stuff. And it's like, I did that all, and it never worked. And it's yeah. like, that play stuff never, 
doesn't seem like a good metric for that stuff. At least the way that it works for Microsoft. Because it's kind of busted, at least at this point. So, might be why it's not public. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. good that they're well, there. At least, yeah, they're, they're catching yeah. up, at least. So now if they'll just add gifting, that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, and finally, interesting and hopefully exciting news, if it turns out to be true. Uh, Octopath Traveler got raided for PC, yes. uh, but in Korea only so far. And Bandai Namco, I guess, is the publisher for this. Which is weird. Yeah, which makes me wonder if this is going to be some like Korea-only version. Yeah. Like it's been for a number of games out there. Hmm. Uh, well, I hope not, because uh, this would you know let me play the game without buying a Switch, uh, if it turns out to be true. Lots of people like Octopath Traveler, and I would like to be among those people, but I haven't played it yet. So yeah. kind of hoping it's uh, yeah. it's a thing. And it'll be available on the Epic Game Store. Maybe Steam. <laughs> How about GOG? GOG would be great. Um, I could see that happening. Because, yeah. Uh, this, as far as my PC purchases uh, have been lately, uh, most of them have been GOG. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of like that storefront better now. I like their entire yeah. philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, they've started walking some of it back, haven't they? Was that the price matching thing? Uh, I've never actually tried the price matching thing. Yes. But I've never had some of like the regional uh, price matching kind of thing. They yeah. try to be like fair pricing between regions, and I think they ended up having to pull it out. Well, I've never seen uh, the price being that all different to me. I mean, yeah. Uh, apparently, well, that Blizzard stuff that I bought recently was. Uh, let's see, it was twenty bucks for the Warcraft one and two bundle, which was apparently fifteen in the U.S. But you know, you got to figure you know exchange rate. So I don't know, it works out for me. And I do love that I don't even have to install their client to use it, which is great. Yeah, because they don't have the DRM. Yeah, yeah, the client is completely optional, and they give you good reasons to. Yeah, use it's it. a it's a great client. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't want to, it's, you can totally play your games with that. Um, so I guess, uh, unless anybody else has uh, something to say, uh, we're just about done. Um, yeah, fuck you, Epic Games, and yeah. fuck you, Gearbox. <laughs> yeah, Welcome they, back, they, Lee. If you want to be really pissed off, uh, just go ahead and uh, look up uh, the history of Aliens Colonial Marines. Oh, God, no, no, I and know that, about that. That it's Just yeah. the same thing. Like, come on, you bitch-made motherfucker. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so <sighs> it's not hard to not be a douche. Yeah, especially when somebody fi- finds a bug that fixes your AI uh, after ten years, and then you uh, mock them for yeah, it. What an asshole! <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, so uh, that's uh, going to be it for the week. Uh, remind you guys, if you uh, haven't subscribed to the show, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast aggregator. Uh, Google has, for some reason, started transcribing our podcast. That's got to be fun for them. Which is, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think they're doing machine learning, so I have no idea what we're teaching the AI, but uh, it's probably not Yeah, good. We're, we're not good influences. Especially if it's trying no. to translate what Lee has to say. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> Maybe yeah, they'll make so. my translations a captcha. Yeah. <laughs> it'll just add the three yeah. dots, and like, and he goes on like this for twenty minutes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Uh, you can also check us out at smashpad.com where we have uh, stuff, although it's a bit quiet lately. Uh, we got uh, it's Anthem Review is up there. Uh, Dan Reb's got some stuff coming soon. I've got some stuff coming soon. So, yeah, expect uh, to be uh, reading some stuff from us very shortly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, until uh, next week, I have been Filippo Donolfo for uh, Patrick Mifflin, Chris Logie, and Lee Lamb. We'll see you next week. <laughs>